Ecclesiastes chapter 8. Ecclesiastes, the eighth chapter. As you're turning to Ecclesiastes, I want to rehearse with you something that I saw take place. This was several years ago, maybe 10 or 12 years ago. And it was on the same night watching Sports Center. That's about the extent of my, my access to television is news and sports. Well, I was watching Sports Center one night, and the contrast could not have been any more stark. Nolan Ryan had thrown his seventh no-hitter that day. And the same day, a certain base stealer from the Oakland A's named Ricky, we'll just keep it there, uh, stole, uh, broke the record for base stealing that same day. Watching those two was very interesting. When they interviewed um, uh, the base stealer, he said, today I am the greatest baseball player to ever live. I kid you not, the next story was on Nolan Ryan's seventh no-hitter. And they said, ask him how, he says, look, I, this, I had some great plays in the outfield and infield. Did you see the guy on third? I mean, I, I pitched okay today, but I'll be back tomorrow. It's, it was mostly the defense that preserved the snow hitter. It wasn't my pitching. The difference between pride and humility was incredible. It wasn't long after that, watching Sports Center, that another lesson followed closely on the hills. It was really the same, only couched a little differently. I watched a documentary on Vince Lombardi. Miss Lombardi, one of the great uh, NFL coaches uh, who would begin every year with professional football players and athletes by sitting them all down and saying, gentlemen, this is a football. And he would go over what the laces meant and what, what the leather was made of, where they had gotten it, and explain to them the actual ball before they began. When he was, um, was showing this documentary of him and his interaction with the most famous, uh, well, I think the most famous quarterback for the Green Bay Packers to ever live, namely... Barstar, thank you very much. Some of you are old enough to remember that. And uh, it showed Barstar throwing an interception. Star comes off the field, goes immediately to the bench, and Vince Lombardi goes over. And to say that they bleeped out that speech would be an understatement. He laid into him like nobody's business. Now, here's the, the point. His response was nothing but to bow his head. It's the best football player in in NFL at that time, the greatest quarterback to probably ever live up at that time, and he bowed his head and just said, yes, sir, yes, sir, yes, sir. A few nights after that, I saw the the report of Latrell Sprewell, who was upset at his coach and grabbed him by the throat in the middle of a game. The difference between these two men was not just humility and pride, the difference between these two men was understanding how to respond to authority. We live in a world that disdains authority. John Stott says, seldom if ever in its long history has the world witnessed such self-conscious revolt against authority. All the accepted authorities are being challenged. Anything which savors of establishment is being scrutinized and opposed. Think about it. The authority in the family is under siege. Have you been to the grocery store and watched a four-year-old control their mom or dad by manipulation? Hopefully that hasn't happened in your family. Authority in the state is 
is being challenged, I wonder how many times you have prayed for politicians that you dislike or dislike their policies versus the times you have slandered and complained about them. God's authority in the workplace is being assailed. Labor unions strike over almost anything. Terminated employees can sue their bosses for just about anything. God's authority within the classroom is being threatened. Even talking to my sons who attend public high school where students in the class seem to feel like the, the, the teacher is their peer and that they can challenge and talk back at any level possible. And at the heart of all these forms of challenges is really the spiritual sin called insubordination. Because God says that all authority is his authority. Listen to the words of the Apostle Peter. In 1 Peter 2.13, he said, Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution. Notice the phrase, for the Lord's sake. One of the things that marks a Christian, especially in our world, is their understanding and recognition and submission to authority. Listen, submission to authority and having proper regard for those who exercise it over us is a profound spiritual issue. You can literally measure your spiritual maturity by how well you submit to authority. King Solomon understood what authority is and was. As the wisest man who had ever lived up to that point, he responds to the issue of authority with not only his own experience, with, but with divine insight. little review, he's the king of Israel as well as the son of David who was also the king of Israel. He was given the gift of wisdom in 1 Kings chapter 3, which means that he had unmatched insight into matters that needed wisdom. But he misused this gift for personal pleasure, personal gain in chapter 2 of Ecclesiastes. And the book of Ecclesiastes is really his reflex at the end of his life, looking back at how he had blown the gift that God had given him of wisdom. Now, as we come to chapter 8, Solomon returns to a familiar theme, the application of wisdom. But here he reveals to us a snapshot of what wisdom looks like in response to authority. And this is important because everyone is under someone's authority. I remember having a conversation in my office with a young woman who said, I don't believe I have to submit to the governmental authority. And I said, well, regardless of whether you believe that you have to philosophically, you do submit to the government's authority. Actually, no, I don't. Yes, you do. No, I don't. Yes, you do. No, I don't. Yes, you do. She said, prove it. I said, did you stop at any red light on the way to the office today? Well, that's not authority. Really? Didn't somebody say, this turns red, you stop. And you did. Authority is everywhere. Listen to, just as an introduction to this text, Romans chapter 13. We'll get there in just a few months. In a little while. Are you laughing with me or at me? And that's, let every person be in subjection to the governing authorities. Wow, let every person be in subjection to the governing authorities. For there's no authority except from God. And those who are, uh, those which exist, are established by God. 
Therefore, he who resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God. He, God is equating man's authority with his own authority because unless authority is telling us to sin, it's placed there by God, he says. For rulers are not a cause of fear for good behavior, but for evil. Do you want to have no fear of authority? Then do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For it is a minister of God for good for you. But if you do what's evil, be afraid, for it does not bear the sword for nothing. For it is a minister of God, an avenger who brings wrath upon the one who practices evil. Wherefore, it is necessary to be in subjection, not only because of wrath, but also because of conscience sake. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For rulers are servants of God, devoting themselves to this very thing. Render to all what is due them. Tax to whom taxes due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. This evening we're going to look at this honor part of what Paul told the Romans. The title tonight is Honor to Whom Honor is Due, Dealing with Authority Properly. Now when we drop into Ecclesiastes chapter 8, we're looking at at a king who understood authority from both the, 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 the ruling side, people who were submitting to him, but he also understood from seeing his own failure to submit to God's authority and the wreck that his life had become because of that. So he speaks from experience, he speaks from divinely gifted wisdom, and he speaks, speaks from God's authoritative scripture because that's what he is writing as he pens this book. So let's look very uh, quickly at this, the first nine verses of this chapter and find and discover together eight wise responses to authority. Eight wise responses to authority. I tried to make it less, but there's eight of them. I couldn't, couldn't break it down any, anymore. Eight wise responses to authority. Number one, wisdom understands authority. Wisdom understands authority. Verse one. Who is like the wise man and who knows the interpretation of a matter? A man's wisdom illumines him and causes his stern face to beam. What is this talking about? Well, notice that the question begins with, the the verse begins with a question and a statement that magnify the value of wisdom Whereas the end of uh, uh, the, the chapter closes rather in verse 17 with a clear acknowledgement of wisdom's limitations. Understand the value of wisdom, understand the limitations of wisdom. What he's saying is no matter how wise you become, you won't be God. You're always going to be limited. And again, we come to consider under Solomon's wisdom, our own wisdom and application. He wants us to acquire and apply being wise, acquire and apply wisdom. As we've been looking at for chapter after chapter, wisdom is living in light of God's revelation. You want a big definition of, a uh, short rather definition of wisdom? It's living in light of God's revelation. If God said it, it brings massive powers to bear on my life. This is his introduction to the context of understanding submission, which is going to flow in the rest of this chapter. Submission to authority. And the point is simple. A wise man knows how to recognize and respond to authority. The wise man or the wise woman will think through the areas of authority in your life and exercise appropriate submission and subordination. Not inappropriate, we'll talk about that, but appropriate 
subordination. Note that there is an actual physical effect here in wisdom. Both sin and righteousness have physical effects. We'll look at that when we come to the Lord's table in a moment, looking at Psalm 32. Sin can weigh you down, and righteousness can lift your countenance. He talks about the face here. Face is, it means your countenance. A wise man's countenance is changed because of his wisdom. In essence, Solomon is saying that a wise man can size up a situation properly and act accordingly. So if you truly want to be wise, set your mind within this passage, understanding your individual role to the authorities that God has placed over you. Now that's going to make more sense as we move through the passage. Number two, wisdom recognizes authority. Wisdom understands authority. Wisdom recognizes authority. I say, keep the command of the king because of the oath before God. Keep the command of the king. Do what your governing authority has told you to do. The recognition that he's referring to divinely given authority is really that reference that Paul talked about. All authority is given by God to those in authority. Listen, even if they're wicked and bad, rulers, kings, governors, authorities. First Chronicles 29, 23 says, Then Solomon sat on the throne of the Lord. There's the establishment of authority. As king instead of David, his father, And he prospered, and all Israel obeyed him. And all the officials, the mighty men, also the sons of the king of David, pledged allegiance to King Solomon. And the Lord highly exalted Solomon in the sight of all Israel and bestowed on him royal majesty, which had not been on any king before him in Israel. God blesses the authorities by the submission of those subordinate to the authorities. This is no doubt the oath referred to here in verse 2. Keep the command of the Lord because of the oath before God. They had given this oath in 1 Chronicles chapter 29, that they would be allegiant, pledge their allegiance to King Solomon. The point is, is really clear if you look at it. You keep your loyalty, you keep your obedience, we keep our submission to earthly authority. Why? Because of God. That's why. We recognize that God is behind the authorities that we see here on earth. Paul said it very explicitly. Solomon is saying it by example. Number three, wisdom appreciates authority. This is kind of a sweet part of this uh, passage. It appreciates authority. Verse three, do not be in a hurry to leave him. If you get an audience before the king, don't rush off. Don't have so much fear and trepidation in the presence of an authority that you don't appreciate the access you have to someone in authority. In Hosea chapter 11, verse 2, we read, Go from someone's presence, and that signifies disloyalty and disaffection if you leave someone's presence. There's a lot of different applications of this. This is a a great parenting verse to talk through with your, with your kids, especially when you're not in the middle of a conflict. 
One of the easiest things to do if you're in the middle of a conflict, especially with someone who you're under, is just to leave the room, just to walk out. That is a 15-yard penalty. You better throw the flag on that one. That is big time bad. Don't be in a hurry to leave him. Stay there and listen. Look over at chapter 10, verse 4 for a moment. There's an evil that I've seen under the sun, like an error which goes forth from the ruler. There's an evil that I've seen under the sun, like an error which goes forth from the ruler. This is talking about authority that might even fail. The point Solomon's making back over in chapter 8 is if you will stay with the authority long enough, ask the right questions with the right attitude, not be in a hurry to rush out, even if you disagree, you're going to be prospered. Having an appreciation for that authority. Let's put it in our vernacular. Those in authority over us like teachers, parents, coaches, lawmen, employers don't be in a hurry to get out from under their authority don't be in a hurry to run from a meeting that you might have with them either from fear of them or from fear of what they'll say be be patient this is another way of saying listen don't be haughty and that goes in the next number four wisdom reveres authority wisdom reveres authority also in verse three Do not join in an evil situation, an evil matter, a a bad plot. For he will do whatever he pleases. The point of the second half of this verse is to be very wary of how you act because those in authority have the power of consequences over our lives. The king in Solomon's day had the power of life and of death. And There's a healthy fear of authority that's characteristic of God's children, of those who are wise to revere that authority. But it also says that you can revere that authority. Let's match that with what Paul said to the Romans and not be afraid of that authority if you've not joined in on an evil matter or an evil conspiracy. Most of us can think back to a time maybe in school or maybe when we were younger, hopefully not last week, when we got wooed by a group of people to be at the wrong place and do the wrong thing at the wrong time, and it wasn't good. Boy, I think I could, I could go on and on tonight telling you stories about being in the wrong place at the wrong time. My dad was a police officer. Can I get somebody to grab me a tissue? I don't know if I'm allergic to Kansas. My sweet wife has one um, or something. Thanks, honey. Thank you. Now, we're going to have a little family moment here. Scott. uh... Thank you. That was well done. (laughs) There's some guys, um, one of the worst times I ever got in trouble with my father. Um, It was one of the worst. There were lots of them. There was uh, some guys who were... um, out by the railroad tracks, squashing quarters. It's like the story of my life that changed everything. We put quarters on the railroad tracks. The trains would come by, squash the quarters. We would pick up the quarters. They were these nice, flat, oval coins. 
not a big deal. It was a bad investment. Um, but my, my dad was telling me that he was right, that if the train's coming too fast and you're too close, it creates a vacuum. It can actually pull you under. And it's not, it's not a smart thing to play around train tracks when there are very fast trains coming down the tracks. So he told me that and um, said, yes, sir. And a day or two later, my friends, um, Daryl and John, said, let's go squash quarters. And I did. And I got in more trouble than I could ever describe to you. I remember walking in the door, and sometimes parents just have the gift of omniscience, right? Walked in the door. I, I have never been, had, been able to maintain a non-guilty face. I just walked in, and Dad says, where you been, boy? I'm just at, you know, John, Daryl, we, we, uh, ball field, ball field. We're at the ball field. Oh, okay. And so he just looks at me. He says, what's in your pocket? Money? How much money? Don't know. Can I see it? You know what was in my pocket? Squash quarters. And so I tried and tried and tried to get out of it. And he says, he says let me see that. And I pulled those out. And I'll never forget, he just said, this is not just that you made this decision, Ricky. You are making the wrong decision about your friends. They are leading you to do what's wrong. And in my little nine-year-old mind, I understood something that I never understood before. These guys, if I hung out with them more, they were going to get me in trouble. And you know how I knew they were going to get me in trouble? The next hour of my life demonstrated what would happen again if I was with them? Don't join in an evil matter. For the authority will do whatever he pleases. You will be at the disposal of the authorities. It's exactly what Paul told the Romans. If you don't do anything wrong, you have nothing to fear. Number five, wisdom respects authority. Wisdom respects authority. Verse four. Since the word of the king is authoritative... Who will say to him, what are you doing? This is that great point of not pushing back on authority. Unless it's sinful, you're supposed to submit. It's the gracious respect in the life of a wise man or woman toward the authority. A wise man does not question the authority, undermine the authority, or disrespect the authority. I mean, how do those in authority over us see us? And how does our Christian response to God look in our Christian response to, to them? Are you a reminder to them of Christ, the reputation of Jesus, how he wants us to live? I mean, think about this. Kids, students, what about your parents? Are you an example to your parents of what a godly junior, senior, higher collegian really looks like? What someone who loves Christ is like as a son or a daughter? How about your employer, everybody? Does your employer understand your relationship to authority as something so exemplary they would transfer your relationship to them as an authority to your relationship as a slave to the Lord Jesus in authority? Coaches, 
the government, the IRS. Jesus even said, Paul says, it's pretty interesting, he picks up in Romans 13 the idea of, of um, paying taxes. He tried to trick Jesus and said, uh, you know, Caesar wants to be paid taxes. Surely you, as the Jew of Jews, surely you, as the, the Messiah, surely you, as the one who will be king over Israel, would certainly want your money to stay in Israel and not go to Rome. What do we do about paying taxes? He said, bring me a coin. He looks at the coin. Whose face is on the coin, Jesus says? It was Caesar. He says, give to Caesar what's Caesar's. Give to God what's God's. I've got this in my notes, and I don't want to say it. Traffic laws? Let's just keep going. Um, seriously, I, 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 can, I could use a lot of grace in how I do it. Boy, no one can rationalize breaking traffic laws better than Aaron. Um, <laughs> and Bob. And me. Okay. Number six. Let's move on. Number six. Wisdom submits to authority. Because you respect it, you obviously submit to authority. Verses five to seven are so clear. He who keeps a royal command experiences no trouble. It sounds like Paul, doesn't it? For a wise heart knows the proper time and procedure. You've got it figured out. For there is a proper time and procedure for every delight, though a man's trouble is heavy upon him. If no one knows what will happen, who can tell him when it will happen? What he's saying is since life is so uncertain and God has not revealed his sovereign plan, the only recourse is to simply submit to the proper authorities in the context that God has given to us. There's a blessing and a promise about being underneath and submitting to and obeying authorities. And verse 5 is a great encouragement to those asking about the profit of submission. It will go well for us. We'll stay out of trouble. Number seven, wisdom possesses no authority. Wisdom understands we really possess no authority as child's, uh, children of the king. No man has authority to restrain the wind with the wind or authority over the day of death. And there's no discharge in the time of war, and evil will not deliver those who practice it. What is he saying here? He's just, just talking in, in, in um, illustrative language, saying a wise man has a heavenly perspective of those who are over him in authority. A wise man makes no assumptions that the men have any true authority or power because God is behind them. God is the, ultimately the one in charge. And he says, you don't know what's coming. Death is the great leveler. We come back over and over again to the day of death. You don't have any, any restraint over the wind. You can't beat the wind. You can't change the wind. Neither can you the authority that God has put over. Oh, you may try. You may talk back and pitch a fit and whine and complain and sign petitions. He goes to war, even in the time of war, no... No one has control over battles or war. That's why you have wars. A wise man understands that no human wields any authority that is not given him from God, but in death 
God reveals himself to be the ultimate authority. No man has authority to restrain the wind or over the day of death. We have to be humble and realize we really have no ultimate authority in and of ourselves. Number eight, wisdom honors authority even when authority fails. And mark this, authorities in your life will fail. Amen? They will. So be it. They, it happens. Verse 9, all I have seen and applied my mind to every deed that has been done under the sun wherein a man has exercised authority over another man to his hurt. He's recognizing that authorities don't always act in the best interest of those over whom they wield the authority. All of us have asked Solomon by now, hey, what about bad authority, Solomon? What about authority that fails? Should we still submit? Should we still respect it? Should we still follow it? And Solomon answers this in verse 9, which introduces what we'll study in our next, verses 10 to 17, our next study. So what should we do if we are in a position underneath authority that is failing? The answer is you still, we still submit. I uh, clearly remember working as a, at a pool, as a lifeguard and assistant manager at a pool, and we were we were mixing up some stain for the benches. It wasn't paint. This was a wood stain we were putting over, a special wood stain that, that had uh, water-repelling properties. And um, Well, let me say, it was supposed to have water-repelling properties. And uh, we had gone down to the hardware store, the manager and I, we'd gotten the stuff, we brought it back, and we were about to apply it. And, and I, 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 I said, Tom, this is the wrong stuff. This isn't the water-resistant um, stain. We thought, I mean, it was all close together in the hardware store. He said, oh, this will work. And I said, I, said, I, don't, I don't think this will work. He said, well, yes, it'll work. And he said, I, I said, Tom, this is the wrong stuff. Look, it doesn't say what we saw in the hardware store, which says water repellent. And he says, no, this will work. And we went back and forth and back and forth. I was right. And a Christian and a part-time youth pastor and an arguer of epic proportions. And, and we're starting to get heated with this. And now patrons at the pool are going, what is going on down there at the end of that bench? And finally, he just said, I'm going to send you home right now, Rick, before I fire you. Got in the car and I went home. I was trembling with the bad example I had been couldn't believe it. I mean, this is so, so stupid. Well, I came back the next day, and he and the other guys had stayed after and painted the bench with the wrong stuff. And I didn't say a word. And I just saw it when I was driving around, and I walked into the office, and Tom was sitting there with the right stuff. And I said, hi, Tom. 
He said, well, we obviously need to repaint the, the benches. And I was really quiet. I said, really? He said, yeah, we got the wrong stuff. I said, really? He said, yeah. And he said, can I just tell you something, Rick? Every other lifeguard at that moment wasn't watching who had the right stuff or not. They were watching you be an incredible example of what not to be as a Christian. He was a believer as well. I don't even know what to tell you. It wasn't about the right application. I so blew it. I, let's just principalize back from that. What kind of example do we set if we pitch a fit, even if we're right and they're wrong? Isn't it better just to say, okay, uh, I, th- I think this is the wrong, wrong paint, but uh, I'm going to follow whatever you say. God will take care of whether or not the authorities in our lives are right. He only expects us to submit. We can tell them it's the wrong pain. We can say this is the wrong. We can appeal. But ultimately, we're called to submit to authority. Nothing in here says change the authority's opinion as you're working through your submission. We are responsible for our submission to authority, not changing it. We can appeal all we want. One of the things that my sweet, beloved bride has done with me after the last 20 plus years of our, our marriage is we'll have, I'll say, we ought to do this. And she'll say, we ought to do that. I'll say, what about this? What about that? Well, we go back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And then she ultimately says, well, here's what I'm glad about. We'll do whatever you want to because uh, I'm, I'm just accountable to follow your leadership and you are accountable to God for this decision. <laughs> That's not fair. <laughs> Bring God into the whole thing. She's right. She's right. Ephesians 6. Slaves, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh with fear and trembling in the sincerity of your heart as to Christ. Not by way of eye service as men pleasers, but as slaves of Christ. Doing the will of God from the heart. The will of God is to do what the masters tell us to do. And then 1 Peter chapter 2. Just listen to this. Might be something you want to write down and look at later. Submit yourself, 1 Peter 2, 13. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to a king as the one in authority or to governors as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. For such is the will of God that by doing right, you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. If we submit, we'll silence their foolishness if their authority is awry. Act as free men. Do not use your freedom as a covering for evil, but use it as bond slaves of God. Honor all men. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the king. Servants, be submissive to your masters. That's our vernacular of saying, employees, be submissive to your employers. With all respect. For not only to those who are good and gentle, but also to those who are unreasonable. Pretty clear, isn't it? He says, For this finds favor if, for the sake of conscience toward God, a man bears up under sorrows when suffering unjustly. Wow, he moves from saying, If you submit to even unjust and failing authorities, if you do that with, with those who are even unreasonable, you, in essence and in the end, will bear up 
sorrows, even when you suffer for that, to the glory of God and to the maturing of your own soul. There are no qualifications for submission in these verses. If someone tells us in authority to sin, we can rightfully resist. We obey God, not man. But if they're telling us to paint the bench with the wrong paint, if we can appeal in a godly way and they still say paint the bench with the wrong paint, then paint the bench with the wrong paint. The essence of the gospel itself is submission to authority. Let a man deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. That's submission. Parents, work, athletics, the classroom, even at church, submission to authority. And somehow in our culture, and one of the blessings of being able to travel in, in especially third world countries, they don't have any issue with authority. They just submit. It's just the way, the way that God has made it. Made the order of the world. Someone's in charge and someone's not. If you have any musical background, you understand that not everyone can play first chair or even second. Not everyone can have the solo. We have to play in the harmony of what God has done. Some people have more prominent roles than others. That's okay. And it honors God always when we pursue humility. We're rarely ever more like God than when we're humble because that's the gospel. He not, Jesus didn't regard equality with God a thing to be shown off or grasped, but he emptied himself, taking on the form of a slave. So where does that leave us? It leaves us to ask, what authorities am I under in my life right now? And how am I responding to them? How will I respond to them? It's okay to appeal a decision in a godly way. It's okay to ask questions. We're not just yes men, but it's not okay to be insubordinate and recalcitrant to those who are over us because that's not the example that Jesus left us. Remember what Jesus in John 19 told Pilate? Pilate says, listen, Give me the right answer. Don't you know that I have the authority to let you go and I have the authority to have you killed? Remember Jesus' response? You would have no authority unless it was given by God to you. You would have no authority unless God gave it to you. This is a penetrating lesson for all of us. It's a good place then to transition into celebrating Christ's death for our insubordination. You know what sin is? Not submitting to Christ's authority. It's very simple, isn't it? Insubordination to Jesus, that's sin. So we're going to turn our attention to that. While we're preparing for the Lord's table, I told you we would end up here. Psalm 32. Psalm 32. This is the other Psalm 51. Psalm 51, we're usually familiar with. Remember, David confronts, uh, Nathan confronts David. He, um, he repents, um, and then he pins Psalm 51, which we all know. But he also pins Psalm 32. He says, How blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. How blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not 
account or impute iniquity, and in whose spirit there's no deceit. When I kept, remember we said, Solomon says there's physical consequences. When I kept silent about my sin, my body wasted away. Through my groaning all day long, for day and night your hand was heavy upon me. That is a sweet demonstration of God's grace. If you have chased sin, harbored sin, hiding sin, pursuing sin, and you feel this, that is a sweet demonstration of God's grace that you feel his hand heavy on you all day long such that my vitality, my strength was drained away as the fever heat of the summer. And then in verse 5, here's the release of that. I acknowledged my sin to you. And my iniquity did not hide. He knows it anyway. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the guilt of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly pray to you in a time when you may be found. Surely in a flood of great waters they will not reach him. You are my hiding place. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with songs of deliverance. And then God responds, I will instruct and teach you in the way in which you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. His heavy hand in sin becomes his counseling eye in repentance. Do not be as the horse or as the mule, which have no understanding, whose trappings include a bit and a bridle to hold them in check. Otherwise, they will not come near you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but he who trusts in the Lord Ah, loving kindness shall surround him. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous ones, and shout for joy all you who are upright in heart. This moves from being overwhelmed with the guilt of sin to shouting with joy because of our forgiveness. That's what we do with this table. We don't come to this table to mourn our sin We come to be examined by our own hearts about our sin and repent and find joy. Communion is not given to lay heavy burdens on us. It's given to relieve them. It's given for us to come and confess our transgressions to the Lord. 